we still haven't worked out a way to grow beer. We um, There's a lot of blaming other businesses. There's a lot of blaming competitors. There's a lot of that without lifting our heads over the fence, we want to say, and or mimicking other categories and going, let's back this thing. And welcome to episode 450 of Bruise News Week, recorded on January 25th, 2023. Uh, my name is Bruise News Editor Matt Kirkegaard. Actually, my name is just Matt Kirkegaard, and I am Bruise News Editor. And joining me is uh, Ian Watson, who is a brewer, and Paul Daly, who is an advanced Cicerone. Good to see you both. Hello, gentlemen. G'day, Matt. G'day, Ian. Good to see you both, and Happy New Year. Thank you. And uh, sorry, yes, it's a little bit uh, crazy this week. Uh, we've got the... Hottest 100 coming up uh, this Saturday, the Hottest 100 live countdown, five hours of me and Sabrina, and uh, hopefully, well, Ian's busy, so I won't be able to get you, but uh, I'm going to be chatting to you, Paul Daly. Yes, I think you are. Um, Other than that, I am busy too, so um, won't be with you the whole five hours. (laughs) So, uh, well, we'll see... We'll see how long we go for today. We might uh, sort of protect my uh, voice a little bit. It's a huge, huge day, but it's certainly uh, one of the biggest days of the year. We will come back to that, um, and I'll talk about the links and everything like that. Um, but let's get into the news of the week, because there was a you know, fairly big news item that came out late yesterday afternoon, and that is uh, Wayward Brewing and Local Drinks Collective Exit VA. Now, I'm going to read the whole story that we published this morning, because there's a little bit in there in addition to the uh, media release. Um, Creditors of Wayward Brewing Company and Local Drinks Collective have voted to accept a deed of company arrangement, which will see both companies emerge from administration. Under the deed of company arrangement proposal, creditors, including the ATO, will receive what is really now the uh, standard 10 cents in the dollar. Uh, The two related companies entered voluntary administration earlier this month, uh, and in quotes, to deal with financial losses, the business has accrued in the face of declining consumer demand across the craft beer market, combined with significant increases in production costs. In a report to creditors, the administrators advised that the companies owed unsecured creditors, including suppliers, up to $730,000. That was a high figure. The low figure was around about $700,000. With statutory creditors, um, which is the government, owed $1.9 million. Statutory debts included unpaid excise of $1.27 million and tax payable of $590,000. The administrator recommended creditors accept the proposal, uh, the proposed deed of company arrangement, uh, noting that the pr- proposal provides a better return to creditors than a liquidation. Accordingly, I'm required to recommend that cre- creditors vote in favour of this proposal for a deed of company arrangement. The administrator's report noted that Wayward and uh, Local Drinks Collective uh, Director Peter Philp advised that the reasons for the company's failure, um, and I should note that the words company's failure were the direct were with the administrator's words, not mine, were changed businesses, business conditions. Prior to the pandemic, the business was experiencing high growth and therefore expanded operations to handle this demand, the report noted. During the pandemic, the business was supported by government programs and a moratorium on ATO excise payments, which enabled the business to remain solvent. Cost-cutting measures were in place, but operations were not scaled back in anticipation of a business uh, post-COVID. Um, the business has been hit by a com- by combination of increased costs and decreased demand. In the last 18 months, the business has been adversely affected by large increases in raw materials and service inputs uh, of, 20, of greater than 25% and a decrease in consumer demand caused by inflation and increasing interest rates, which became particularly apparent in the spring of 2023 when, businesses usually in, when business usually increases. The administrator noted that he agreed with Philp's explanation for the failure of the company. Uh, now, speaking to Bruce News, at the time the business went, in, went into administration, that was on the 2nd of January, uh, Peter Philp said that he was not giving up on the idea of the local drinks collective. We're not going to give up on the concept of, the, of LDC or what we've achieved. We think we've got a good business. We just want to restructure things so we can move forward. Uh, he said, we made quite a few people redundant last month, being December. So we're in a position now where we can make money, assuming there's no further deterioration in the market. We have just to try and to work our way forward through this. Um, COVID wasn't easy. We didn't make any money in COVID. We thought coming out of COVID, we would make uh, would be back to pre-COVID levels. 
We're hoping for a big summer this year, but these interest rate rises have just killed consumer confidence. So we're not alone in that. I think everybody is in the same boat. Uh, Wayward Brewing and Batch Brewing formed the Local Drinks Collective in October 2022, uh, quote, to leverage the strengths of member businesses without the companies needing to merge. At the time, Peter Philp said that the new entity flips the typical consolidation model on its head. Quote, normally you would go out and raise private equity or something like that and go and buy the brewing companies and create the mothership model like the good drinks model, Philp explained in 2022. They go out and buy breweries and that's how they consolidate. This flips it on its head and says it's not the mothership that owns the breweries, it's the breweries that own the mothership. So everybody's motivated to the mothership to win and to succeed. Um, in 2022, uh, Peter Phillips said it was a better approach than the breweries just merging their brewing businesses as it allowed them to maintain their current excise relief for $350,000. Um, speaking in early January, he told Brews News that despite the local drinks collective model, including batch brewing and batch brewing recording uh, net losses of $172,000 and $345,000 in the previous two financial years, batch was insulated from the administration process. LDC is a distribution engine uh, room of the business, so it's got all of the exposure and all of the cost, and Wayward has got all of the production costs, so it's really about batch wasn't doing a huge amount of business. Um, there's a little bit more about uh, the fact that there was a proposal uh, in the market um, prepared by FTI Consulting uh, offering uh, investment or sale of the combined businesses, three leading independent breweries, um, at the time, and the brochure touted the brands as having a powerful hospitality presence. Um, that brochure included uh, um, mention of Hawker's Brewing that was that isn't a part of LDC, um, and uh, Peter confirmed that and uh, said that nothing came of that sale. There was no capital involved. So anyway. Um, a, a lot in that. Um, over to you guys uh, while I draw breath. Yeah, um, let's straight off. Um, it's good to see a uh, business come out of administration um, because this gives a chance for them to move forward and for many people's jobs to to remain. Um, it, it is does seem to be around the standard thing that uh, ten cents and a dollar is seem to be what what's paid. I, I wonder whether that's a coincidence or. Or, or what that is really in that. Um, hopefully, they'll now be able to move forward with both of those, um, with both of those businesses, the the little uh, the drinks collective and um, a, a wayward um, it's itself. Um, it's a timely thing. It's just on a year ago that I started to go through this myself. Uh, actually, um, pretty well a year ago, yesterday. Um, uh, uh, by weeks, anyway. Um, so let's let's see what they can do. You know, to, to be honest, I don't have a lot to contribute on 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 this one. More, you know, it, it's it's typical of what we've seen um, so far, and it'd be interesting to see how those businesses that in the last twelve months have gone into administration, how they fare over the next. 12 to, to 24 months. Um, and I do think, you know, we all know, we've all discussed it before that this is not going to be the end of them. Um, uh, there is going to be more um, more coming. And, yeah, um, that's about all I have at the, at the moment. Huh? Again, I don't want to comment particularly on the, the individual micro aspect of it. Um, I feel incredibly, you know, Heartfelt and sad for for Pete. Um, he's a great guy. When I mm. worked at the Malt Shovel Brewery across the road, we had a very strong relationship with the boys um, across there when they were setting up the brewery. Um, yeah, even to the point of lending them our forklift to get over there to help them move their tanks in and alike. And we've, we've did a collaboration brew with them with the Malt Shovel Brewery too during the old Sydney Beer Week. So I, you know, wish Pete. Um, all the best in coming out of it. But the bigger picture of it is is that more of these are going to happen. They seem to happen every other week at this stage. I think a pick up the biggest part of that is the consumer demand side of thing. Um, and that's probably that's an aspect that, you know, taking a step back in acknowledging that these things are going to continue to happen, we as an industry need to start to think collectively about what we need to do to stimulate consumer demand over the long term because, you know, there's peaks and troughs. We're unfortunately in a deep trough. 
Um, I think I said to you a quote yesterday, Matt, you know, anyone can pray for rain, so you best get busy digging a well. Um, there's a lot of praying for rain in terms of I hope the interest rate rise or rises cease. I hope we have an incredibly hot summer, but, you know, incredibly hot summers mean drought and drought means cost of goods going up even more because of, of the other impacts from it. So it's not a be-all and end-all. I think that these sort of red flags for me starting to think about what we spoke about at BrewCon last year was how do we start to get sustained long-term growth so that more consumers are engaged through the beer category that the tide does rise all boats as opposed to everyone building boats or everyone praying for the rain that inevitably doesn't come because of other aspects. We need to start to get together as an industry and really lean into the idea that 5, 10, 15-year plans need to happen and it's going to be hard now. And there's, there's always commentary about now is not the time because we need to stay afloat. And that those are the micro aspects we need to do. Or, But I add to the converse that when the industry is thriving and there has been in craft beer for the last 15 years, we don't need to invest in long-term plans or sustainability or advocacy because why would we have to look how good things are going? So there's never a right time. But I think if we collectively start to work into how to engage consumers over the long term, the time is now. Um, because if we did this five years ago, 10 years ago, we'd be ahead. And I think what we spoke about at BrewCon Beer Australia and those aspects has a good part in stimulating that to make sure that the pain we're feeling now can be limited or by cons- what, we're the- what we're putting in place to engage consumer demand. So from a macro point of view, I see these things as those hopefully items that make people go, I believe in the beer industry because the other categories we're competing against, they believe in their own industries. Um, go down the rabbit hole of going into multi-beverage, which is fine because, you know, business is business and we need to put food on the table for the people who are part of those. But I've said to, I think, both of you before that when the wine industry was in a glut, Bruce Tyrrell didn't pull up all these beautiful um, Chardonnay vines. He doubled down. He continued to be, um, back the industry. When American bourbon was seeing the rise of craft beer, they didn't go. Let's knock down the rack houses in the boardrooms. Uh, in the boardroom, they didn't say, "Let's knock down the rack houses and build a craft brewery." They're like, "We believe in these products, and now it's thriving to the point that breweries are looking to those industries and trying to mimic them." I don't think we properly believe in our category to the point where we're looking towards that long-term growth and that's what i guess a long a long way of saying that if sabrina last week was having a rally cry against um government intervention and those things that's my you know cry against we need to collectively not just independence but the big brewers need to as well because it doesn't happen plans for long-term growth to make sure that we manifest ourselves into the future of what the future beer drinker looks like because we have all the tools and I've said this before we have all the tools in terms of the styles but they're not making it to the table and we get distracted by other categories but on there there Paul and, th- and thank you for for taking that that direction um, rather than just reflecting over what we've really gone over many times before with these um, uh, VAs but that's exactly right so uh, I'll say two things. I'm going to say something that seems a little off to the side at first and then and then go back to it. So what we are in the moment, it's difficult economic conditions across everywhere. And we're like we're walking into, I don't know if um, uh, many of you here have been to Lake Wobby on Fraser Island or, uh, or Kugari, but it's a really, really fucking deep lake with a really steep bank into it. And we've been walking down into that water and it's been getting deeper and deeper and deeper onto us. And now we realise we can't touch the bottom anymore. We're like, fuck, there's a long way down if, if we can't float. So what we need to do is we need to start building all the floaties for, for the industry. And we, you, you're absolutely right. We, we have talked about this before. And yeah, this is, this is more of that. We need to show why beer is, and not just craft beer, let's forget that term for a while, but beer. Beer is the beverage of cho- choice. And that is how we can help. It doesn't stop things happening, but it's how we can help to have um, uh, a little bit more assurance in more difficult times when people are, with their discretionary spending are going to look at what they can pull out from and justify why 
they don't want to pull away from beer. Yep, I agree. I think that every decision that we make as an industry, and this is, and these are these are pie in the sky sort of aspirational ideas of, you know, I get use the word manifesting again. Feel like I'm from the Northern Rivers by using that word, um, but the triforce that we set in the industry, a standard for our industry is because, again, all the three of us here and pretty much I guarantee everyone in the industry who listens to this podcast wants to be in the industry for a long time. A lot of the Triforce, we've got to say with a caveat that we might not ever get there, but the fact that we're working towards something, that's the improvement um, and making sure that we're, we're all pulling in that same direction. If, if we ask ourselves a question for, again, a macro, how do we grow an industry, is the decision I make, whether it's, product PR, any decision that we make within the industry, how we talk to someone else about the industry, how we conduct ourselves with other people in the industry when people who aren't in the industry meet us and know we're from that industry again. Um, if it if it doesn't reflect lightly or if it doesn't put us on the path to growth to that plan, then we just don't do it. And they're hard because the short-term dollar sometimes or the short-term incentive can make it you know attractive to do so. But Again, if we take took these steps ten years ago, I think we'd be in a completely different position. Um, what do you think, Matt? Oh yeah, well look again. I, and I was going to sort of broaden out the conversation uh, when I got to other other news because there was the news limited art article that uh, I think you posted. Uh, oh no, um, Steve Brockman posted uh, over the weekend uh, in which um, the owners of Filter and Peter from Wayward were quoted in the News Limited talking about how tough. The economy is um, so. I was going to sort of talk a little bit uh, about that then, but you know, it, it, it's look. I'll, I'll be honest. It's hard for me to to talk about some of the things you just said because you know I, I love that quote that you gave about don't pray for rain, start digging a well because that does mirror the the, the bit you went on to where I've been, you know, I've I've been saying for God knows how many years now um, in response to the industry's favourite quote, the rising tide lifts all boats. I don't see anyone looking at how they're damming the rivers or they're bringing the tide in. The industry has just been building boats and saying how beautiful our boats are and not even asking whether they float, um, whether those boats will float in a rising tide. Um, they're just building boats. Um, and it, it's an industry that has celebrated itself um, and almost has had an attitude of we just deserve to exist um and you know i've I got i don't know what the full quote that peter gave news limited was but there was a quote that peter gave um that was quoted that you know the industry the uh, consumers aren't supporting us to the extent that they need to and to me that just smacked of privilege that um for, there, there is something about craft beer and independent craft beer that people should just choose a $25, $30 carton more expensive product because people have opened a brewery. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't, you know, it, it's been one of the themes that we just keep coming back to on this podcast is what are we doing to reinforce the value proposition, the brand proposition, the fashionability of craft beer. Um, you know, it, it's been an industry that has just chased itself down the, to the narrow end of the funnel, going after the latest um, f fads of beer and not looking at how do we position, you know, that there's been no concerted industry campaign to build beer as a discerning choice. And I've made a couple of jokes about, you know, beer for when you're ready to adult or things like that, but just something to reinforce beer. And craft brewers, you know, I, look, I, I don't know, I, I post a couple of things in the Radio Brews News Facebook group. And if we have an industry that was marginal at best, um, before COVID, um, you know, there, there weren't too many breweries outside of the ones that got bought that were making fortunes, that were making a lot of money. Um, admittedly, they were investing in growth because they thought that the good times were going to go on. But craft beer has existed in a time when we have had record low interest rates for the longest duration. We've had low unemployment. I don't remember a time in my life, in my 54 years, when unemployment has been as low for as long as it has been. 
Um, and we've also had a consumer mindset where it is willing to deeply support craft notions, you know, the values inherent in craft, um, which, again, craft is another word for economically inefficient. Um, you know, all of the metrics that the industry uses. Those things were never going to change. Those things were never going to go on um, forever. And if the industry, you know, yes, the economy has changed. Things have become more expensive. But the economy still isn't that bad. Um, a lot of input costs have gone up for businesses and things like that. But, you know, if the industry can't survive the current economic conditions, then the industry has needs to have a really hard look at what are the business models that are actually economically viable um, because there won't be 700 breweries in 18 months, two years' time unless the economy goes back to what are um, historically impossibly good conditions. Um, and I, I think it needs to have a really honest conversation about that. I think we should distinguish to Matt between, uh, I'll slightly disagree with that there. This is terrible. Uh, oh, sorry, we should distinguish between the economy as a whole and cost of living. Um, they're two different things. So our economy is in a much better shape than it was in 1987. However, um, the cost of living is much worse than it was in 1987. In 1987, we had 17.5% interest rates. We don't have that yet. But uh, the, uh, uh, you know, it, they, they, they interlink to each other, and I'm certainly not going to say that I'm a, an economist and can say that, but they are two different things, the economy of a whole and cost of living on individuals, and that's their real crunch um, at the moment. I, and, and, and I'll agree with that. These cycles happen, um, and it won't last forever, but we're not going to come out of this with, with 700 breweries. It's just not going to happen. No, again, just to take your point about, yeah, no, I appreciate the difference between cost and living. But when you look at Christmas trade period for a whole lot of venues, you know, um, people are still willing to spend on things that they value. Um, you know, yes, absolutely, which is, which is why we've got to make beer something that people value. And I really think in this, um, I think Paul said this, we've got to stop this craft beer tag just for us and them. Let's lift beer up. Um, because that's how it would come through there. Otherwise, we are just seen as a fringe thing. We've got to lift the whole, the whole category, um, the whole category up. And otherwise, we're boiled down into an item and like, what the fuck is craft beer? And I'm over that shit. Let's just let's just make good beer and um, lift the image of beer as a whole. Then other aspects of that come in. We don't have craft wine. People know good wine from bad wine. Um, Let's just let's just concentrate on instead of boiling down into the language of what is each of our thing, and that'll all come down to everyone's definitions to what suits themselves. I'll pose a question on that then, because again, I, I think on one hand we need to be celebrating beer, you know, beer over other competing, you know, celebrate the story of beer and the beauty of beer and the reason that it's a great drink and it's a mature drink and it's a sophisticated, it's an aspirational drink. I agree with all of that, but tell me. You know, I was this week gifted um, a carton of Asahi. Um, uh, you know, I didn't go out and spend it, but I was given it. Um, I, I was also given some other uh, more mainstream beers that I, I, that I gave away, but I kept the Asahi. Had a bottle or two of it, and I thought, Jesus is good. And it just reminded me that every everyone knows of my love of uh, uh, Japanese uh, lager from Heads of Noosa, but... It just reinforced for me every time I go into a bottle shop and see heads of Noosa Japanese lager, $25, $30 a carton, more expensive than Asahi, I have a real quandary. Um, and it's part of my personal brand. It's something of my values that I want to be able to not, um, you know, feel a hypocrite that when I go in a bottle shop, think, oh, I'm going to save a little bit of money because the values of a small independent craft brewery that's doing good things matters to me. I'm a fairly unique case proposition. How do we go to more mainstream beer drinkers um, and get them to choose uh, for you know uh, hypothetical reasons a independent American pale ale over little creatures? 
which is everywhere, which is cheap and is very good quality. Um, and what story do we tell? Because craft beer is always going to be much more expensive than the big brewers. Yeah, look, that's that's absolutely true. And that's true of uh, any manufacturing industry and where there is larger and smaller players. It's no different for for beer. And let's, let's look at that case there of what you were mentioning, Asahi, because uh, you know, I'll be honest, I, I love a fresh, cold Asahi. Uh, when I was in Tasmania uh, last year, uh, there was a little izakaya down the road from where we were staying, and we went there a number of times, and the Asahi off tap was tasting incredible. Uh, loved it. Heads Noosa, love their beer too. Um, they're playing the same the same space. So the, the that is down to, if we look at where we're marketing beer as a whole, as to why they come across the beer, and then it becomes down to each individual business as to how they market themselves as well as that beer category from there and why they can justify their price point. So in the case of the smaller player making the Japanese-style lager against the, the big one, you know, and I'm no marketing expert, um, but they can play on, uh, well, ingredients is one thing, but everyone says that they use the best quality ingredients. Does any no brewery not use the finest quality ingredients? But why are your ingredients good? And why is it what why are your ingredients good? Spell out to why your ingredients good. Are they uh, sustainable? Are they regenerative? Are they low food mile, you know, low miles to get to you? Are they just, you know, well shit, this is the most expensive shit out because, you know, the um the the specs on it are the tightest and it's one uh, champion hop in the world or whatever. Uh, for for years years running, is it local? Maybe that's your your aspect to it as well. Uh, you know, market them. In fact, of we are your local. We are part of your community. When your your money is with us, it is still in the in this local community. We tell a story of the people that work for you. Now, don't base your business on people that work for you because they can leave, and that's that's a risky thing to do. But base uh, uh, tell the story of your workers as such and make people identify with the fact that um, there are real people here not just it's not faceless what's what's making a product that's an individual business's marketing angle that they have to look at and find and no one way is going to work for for everyone across our industry and let's look at it in the independent beer industry we are also vastly different it's it's going to be different story but if we lift the category as a whole, as beer itself, so we're not having to separate out because otherwise then we go across. So we'll get someone who's hardcore and say, well, craft beer is only, you know, it's it's got to be, you know, you can't use findings you, or you must use whole leaf hops or whatever. Um, let, let's keep that out of it. Let's, let's lift up beer. Let's elevate beer. And then we all have to look at our own, we have to stand on our own uh, big girl and big boy feet as to how we market our business and justify what the price point is of our own. But we're all helped by the fact that at, at least there's water in the dam now. Uh, you know, we've stopped the tide going out too much because the rising tide lifts all boats, but that tide will come out sooner or later. Let's see if we can, uh, uh, you know, form a weir or something to slow it as it goes out. Uh, again, Paul, this is something I know that you're very passionate about, making sure that people have a reason to buy beer first. Yeah, so if it's about local and why choose Heads of Noosa over Asahi um, and we need to get that message across, then you know, support the IBA um, because they're going to tell you that story for you. Um, and that's the role of that lob the lobbying aspect of that. For me, if someone wants to choose Asahi over Heads of Noosa, if they're drinking beer and they're not going for the, a gin and tonic or they're not going for something else, that's a win because it's, it's about beer. And then it's up to the IBA uh, with supporting local to then promote the virtues of an independent brand and telling a story of why local is better and what that means. Because let's be honest, local is extremely important and the independent brewery um, industry is extremely important because we would not have got the innovation of the X, last X amount of years in the beer category without the independent brewers or independent-minded entrepreneurs going out there and putting on those styles. I mean, the Pacific Owl style and the XPA style, which is now controlled by the two major breweries through independent breweries that they bought. They were independent, but they had the entrepreneurial mindset to be able to go and create those styles, which is true innovation because those styles did not exist before that as opposed to other things that could be mimicked as innovation. So extremely important 
support local in terms of those aspects. But unless, as, as long as people are drinking beer, that's the number one key. And then it's up to if you are a business person, you get into the independent trade, you come in there with eyes wide open that you do have to spruik the benefits of why it is independent as opposed to saying consumers aren't drinking my product and or complaining that the big guys are supposedly trying to buy me or all these aspects that I guess you know, we know what the big players in an industry, how they they move and they act, that these are all knowns in our, in our industry. I just, again, continually want to step back as opposed to getting really deep down into the mud of those things to say that beyond those items because we've had these same conversations for years and years and years and still the category, I think, I checked this last year, but I haven't looked at the new data, still the category continues to decline faster than every other category. We still haven't worked out a way to grow beer. We um, There's a lot of blaming other businesses. There's a lot of blaming competitors. There's a lot of that without lifting our heads over the fence, we want to say, and or mimicking other categories and going, let's back this thing. Let's put a plan together. We are at the, def- at the disadvantage at the moment where we don't have an overarching body. Our two main bodies, the IBA and the Australian Brewers Association, which is Cooper's CUB and Lion, a lot of their a lot of their items are about lobbying for government excise, which is a big part of the problem. And and you know um, you know we don't want it, the modern temperance movement to continue to put restrictions on them. But I still do believe that there is a big part of the industry that we're missing, and that is almost like you know I love the meat and livestock Australia Sam Kikovich lamb because it makes me want to go buy lamb ad. So I mentioned that at Brewcon too. There is no other body that puts an almost like how do we want beer presented. Do we want a conical, and we'll talk about this later, do we want a, a beer glass in a public bar, beer served in a public bar to be served in the same way in a restaurant? How do we get beer into more occasions that is a long-term aspirational goal, but also prove the commercial viability of that with our main partners? Unless every single brewery across Australia, because that's cultural change, unless every single brewery across Australia has that step, has that mindset to move forward. And again, this is just one pillar of an overarching strategy with the existing fights that we're having in terms of excise and all those sort of things. I believe firmly that it is the missing pillar because that pillar exists in the other categories. It doesn't exist here. And we still represent beer in Australia. Well, beer to a consumer, beer to people who are just coming into drinking alcohol is still represented by a TV ad of guys and girls now, but they've just replaced the guys with the girls. They're still playing beach cricket. They're still on the beach doing the same messaging and the same things. They've just contemporized it a bit, but there's nothing about it that's aspirational except for the toe dip that Bolter did earlier in the year of I Love Beer 2, which was a great move forward. But collectively as an industry, if all we're showing to people that beer is sits in the old cliches of a man and his dog sitting at the bar or beach cricket, beer will always just be beach I'm just going to throw in to that one. I do see, like, Bolter, absolutely. Like, it's the pinnacle of um, beer advertising and I've seen so far. But I, I do like the way that the Great Northern ads have evolved, where it's celebrating outdoors and it's not just the old tropes as much. It is moving away. Um, and it's, it's a mainstream brand, so you're still going to play to your strengths. But there is still something that's very aspirational about it, that it doesn't say this is what you have to be. You have to be four blokes building a boat as we saw 20 years ago. Um, but okay, on that, and I, again, I, I agree with you that, you know, first of all, we need to get people drinking beer and then, you know, everyone fights it out below that. One of the conversations that took place um, in, in the Radio Brews News Facebook group was there were some of the old tropes about the differences between craft breweries and big breweries, and one of them is they're foreign-owned, um, which you know is is, is the, the the easy target. But then also, you know, oh, they don't pay tax; um, they avoid their tax, which is again another easy, lazy argument. And you know, I, I've I've grappled with that a little bit um, lately because I've had people, I've had brewers um, criticize HPA for being partly foreign-owned. And you're kind of going, Jesus, you know, you can't think of anyone that's invested more in the Australian industry and Australian hops. So there's these arguments can be a little bit spurious, but particularly at the moment, you know, when what we've had four or five breweries now 
that have gone into VA um, with a combined total of close to two million or ten million dollars of tax that they've written off. Um, you know, so increasingly small brewers uh, can have the finger pointed at them of not paying tax. Um, and in the Wayward case, it wasn't just excise that they'd collected; it was other tax um, that, that, that they've not paid. Um, and you know. How, how do craft brewers, um, when they're starting to use exactly the same opportunities that you know, others have used, you know, make a, 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 a defensible argument that they are somehow different? And you know, Ian said local. Um, but whenever I speak to anyone from Lion or CUB, um, they point out that you know, almost all of their tanks are manufactured in Australia by Furphy because they're too big to to to, to ship. Um, they buy almost exclusively Australian malt. They're the biggest uh, suppliers, you know, um, uh, purchases of Australian malt in the country. Um, you know, they, they by and large use Australian hops. Um, they're huge employers of Australian um, you know, of Australians. And if you looked at the pay as you go um, tax bill. For the fifty percent big brewer um, jobs versus the you know often touted fifty percent small brewer jobs, the ta- you know, because of the wages that uh, the big brewers pay, the tax that their employees would pay would be greater. Um, so there, you know, w- w- when you actually analyse some of the arguments that small brewers use about local, um, you know. The, the the big brewers can counter quite effectively as well. So what is the argument if we're looking at a craft craft industry that is struggling? Um, what what is the argument that we get to convincingly get consumers to go past a cheaper, often equally or better product to go for something just because it comes from a small independent brewery? Tax law is, uh, I think I failed tax accounting at university um, and I didn't go back after that's when I deferred my degree. So um, I'm not great at that, but I think it still comes back to you ask the question of why do we make the argument for independence? I, I would feel that I've, we've covered that. Well, but again, give me your elevator pitch um, for why when I'm going to the bottle shop this afternoon, um, I should choose... Uh, heads of Nusa Lager um, over Asahi at my at my expense. I would say because under the in, just straight off my head, I think that if Asahi's still imported, I won't drink imported beer. I believe it's made here. I, I believe it's yeah. It's certainly tasting pretty fresh, <laughs> as much as I hate myself for uh, drinking it a little bit. I, I, I actually like to find out about that one, Matt, because um, I didn't think Asahi was. I thought the um, was made in Thailand and Japan still. But I think, um, uh, look, the basic thing to come down to is between the two. Asahi, yeah, good beer. Uh, Heads of Noosa, better. You know, you, you, there is nothing wrong with saying that your, your, your product is better. And then how do you convince people to do that? Get a marketing person, not, not me. I'm, I make beer. I don't, I don't do that. But... Um, why could you then convince uh, someone to I can go and buy a bottle of um, uh, Jacobs Creek um, uh, uh, bubbles, which is made by Method Traditionale, uh, is pretty bloody tasty and it cost me about eleven bucks a bottle. Why should I? Why should I buy a bottle of um, Clover Hill? Um, why should I buy a bottle of Hanging Rock um, that are you know? Probably three, four times the, the 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 price. It's because they make the argument that they're better. They make the argument that they're more premium, um, that they're uh, uh, higher higher worth because of uh, what they give you inside that bottle. Agreed. I think it, uh, for me, I mean, it's not an elevator pitch, but these the, the having the choice within that style is adds to the fabric of the industry and what is what's going to project the industry forward. The industry isn't going to be going forward based on um, large mass monotone aspects. It's it's the levels down that add to a fabric, the local brewery, what it means to a community. And again, there is a certain, to go into the certain taste element might be a bit beyond the people, person at the point of purchase who might just buy, but there are heartstrings that might be, if you're visiting, if you're going to Noosa and you're in the BWS at the top pub there before the main beach at Hastings, 
braid, um, I think it's what it's called, to, to experience that local area is to experience a local brewery. As, and you might go to drink Asahi when you go back to Sydney or Brisbane, but that is the important part of it. It's all about that overall experience that we're looking for to almost feel like I went there and I had what the locals drink to a point. Um, if I was going to be local, I would be saying to someone at a bottle shop when I was working there, drink what the locals drink, have an experience, and you'll always remember when you came to visit here. Um, that's the important part of it, as, and that's what we're all looking for. We're all looking for different experiences, and that's why we travel. Uh, but again, I'm uh, when and just to clear up a few things, so I grabbed myself a bottle. Um, brewed and made in Australia under supervision of Asahi Breweries, so it is local, very fresh. Wow. Um, just jumped online, Heads of Noosa at First Choice Liquor Market, $80 a carton. Um, Asahi, uh, $49.80 um, at Dan Murphy's. So again, you know, there's $30 difference at a time when consumers are very conscious of price and cost of living. Uh, I, I agree. It's, it's difficult, Matt. Um, mm. But... You know, that's the same with every, every product. We've all got to have our own marketing. Each individual business is the best person to them why they're... But we've got to look at the category. But as an industry, you can draw parallels across every category class, you know, whether it's Little Creatures, Pale Ale or whatever. And that's what I'm sort of coming back to. You know, um, there is a lot of talk at the moment that it is the economy that's causing us problems. It's X, it's Y. Um, a lot that drove, you know, people are forgetting that a lot of what drove the growth of craft beer in the first place was the highly positive economy where consumers were feeling confident. They valued craft. They, they valued, um, you know, something that was a little bit different. Um, and so the, the, the craft industry benefited from a whole lot of things. And that has changed. And I think, you know, at no stage... Did the industry as a whole come up with a cogent set of arguments for why um, its products were better? Other than, as I say, like there are just what I regard as some fairly lazy arguments. Don't just buy the imported um, product when in every other uh, element of our lives, we will buy Apple. You know, not that there's an Australian mobile phone, but we will quite happily spend on international products. Um, and a lot of brewers um, choose to buy imported hops because that's what they want to make. They, they you know, they they buy Chinese um, stainless steel um, and 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 tanks, um, and yet they want consumers to make decisions different from they themselves are willing to make. Um, and a, a lot of consumers buy a lot of brewers make their purchasing decisions based on what is cost effective for them. And consumers are no different. So, you know, that's where I'm sort of grappling with what is the cogent argument that small brewers, you know, that, that, that actually aligns with what we see them do themselves. The one thing we can always say too is handmade. You know, yes, you can have some arguments in and around that, but uh, that's, that's, and I was saying before, the identifiable thing that it's, uh, it's made by and owned by a person rather than a corporation, which you can find arguments against all of these things and ways around it, but... This comes down to it. I still say this comes down to um, an individual business's ability to market themselves to see whether they've got a viable business. Um, but what we do have to do is lift the um, lift the lift the category uh, and the desirability of, of ourselves as a as a whole. Um, but each individual business will have their own way, and every every argument you can say, every angle you can say, there is um, an argument against or a way that you can point out. Um, against that and you should look at that too you should look at that too because in order to understand the reasons why you should do something you should understand the reasons why you shouldn't do it um, as well I think we just need to pull back from the the argument of us versus them in terms of foreign own foreign ownership's one thing it's a personal choice but when it comes down to if you're using start to push that thing towards HPA and other things I mean look at Barrett Burtson now owned by a French company um, and that's yeah. And that's obviously um, cryomalt as well. And, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Yakima Chief Hops is an American company. What's the difference between getting all our products from an American company and the profits going to Washington State to if it's owned by a company that's headquartered in Kyoto or Tokyo? There's absolutely none. So it's fraught with chinks in the armour. 
and it's distracting from an overall bigger picture. But that's the point. I'm, and again, you've much more eloquently made the point that I was trying to make is that the industry has the the, the small brewing industry um, has often been willing to damage beer by knocking the big brewers because the narrative has been what we're not as opposed to what we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, I think beer suffers when we're having a, throwing rocks at each other. Um, but then also I, I, we, we need a clear, concise statement about what small breweries are. We're the only industry that does it, that has fights of ourselves amongst that. I don't see the loudness. I don't see the news.com.au articles around spirits. I um, don't see it around the wine industry. We absolutely shoot ourselves in the foot. And again, like I said, we are the oldest alcoholic beverage from um, fermenting grains, but we act like adolescent teenagers and stuff with the mood swings and the way we throw toys out of the cot a lot of the times. And that's a harsh way of saying, but we, I think we're getting to the point of the industry where like, we need to s- change things. We need to set ourselves up for the future. And hindsight's twenty twenty. I would even pose a, a thread of a question is in 2016 when the CBIA kicked out the big brewers was that the right decision would you make that decision now based on the people who pushed for that and I guess you even say that the guys from Four Pines refused to come into the CBI at that time until the big brewers are gone. <laughs> well, that's uh, again. And then, and then as soon as they, as soon as the IBA was formed, they joined. Six months later, they sold the CUB. This is a track record of our industry. When's it going to stop? And when are we going to go? Okay, let's grow up. That, that's actually a, a good point, um, Paul. And it's something that I've grappled with. Um, with the IBA um, slash CBIA is every brewery in Australia has had a chance to be a member at some stage except for Coopers um, because they they can't be in in its current form and they couldn't be in its previous form. In its previous form, the two big players both had representation there. Now, I think having the IBA and having an independent brewers association is important and is valuable. And if you are listening and you are in a management position or the owner of an independent brewery, um, join. I know things, and you, and you aren't a member, join. I know things are tight at the moment, but this is one of those things that we must do um, in order to, uh, they're, they're the ones that are doing the hard work for it, and they can only do that hard work if we're all contributing. Now, on top of that as well, you know, we've then got this other, um, the Brewers Association, which is for three of us, but not all of us. Um, there needs to be something where we're, where those two associations or another body is. Is, is working together and we need to know that there is we have way more in common than we do different. Um, we make beer essentially the same way, um, you know, and that's a surprise for some people, but the big breweries make it pretty well exactly the same way that uh, me and I'm working in the about as small as you can get. Um, and so they make it the same way we do. We've got the same interest. We want to sell, um, we want to sell beer. We want to sell, see beer grow. Um, we want to see people love beer, and we can work together to move that forward. Yep. Oh, mate, what a what a discussion! So, getting to the, you know, drilling down to the very heart of you know the the, the industry. But uh, yeah, um, I'll, I'll go back to the show notes, given that we're right off the rails. Um, Gee, 50 minutes in, uh, well, fortunately, like, there are a few other things, but I will just say, don't forget this Saturday, Gab's Hottest 100 Live Countdown uh, will be coming to everybody live from the First Choice Liquor Market at Ashfield in Sydney. Um, very independent uh, location. I think uh, we're, we're not broadcasting under our own steam. We're the official podcast of Gab's. So uh, um, they nominated where we're recording from. We do not know anything about uh, who's coming where or what or why we find out live with you and we have five hours of dead air to fill so uh, um, you'll find a link in the show notes you'll find a link in the Radio Brews News Facebook group join us uh, there's a chat group you can uh, join in you can sort of weigh in with your thoughts and your observations um, and everything but it's yeah it's look talking about things that get people excited about beer the the Gab's Hottest 100 inspires so many conversations. I have a great chat. Um, I've already had it. It was a pre-record with the uh, writer for American um, 
music magazine Billboard. He's the Australian correspondent to that uh, because I wanted to find out how in the world of music the Triple J Hottest 100 goes. And they've had exactly the same controversies. They've had exactly the same discussions. They've had the same uh, issues that uh, Craft Beer has had. Um, and yet he still says it's the best day of the year because it gets people talking about music and uh, it's exactly the same for beer. So if I can encourage our listeners to do something, don't just dismiss it as a popularity contest. Just because your favorite esoteric um, beer didn't make the 100, wait till the subsequent list come out and see where it comes in. Um, you know, uh, it, it's not, there is no big conspiracy in, it is a popularity contest and the breweries with you know that with the biggest reach are going to probably do better than the smallest ones. But just uh, join the discussion, get excited about beer, and uh, join us. Anything from you guys? Um, if you want to get your beer up the charts, I know a company that can do labels. For <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Where would that company be, Paul? Oh, that's our friends at Railings, and they've just installed a new printer which can print short, run, full-color cartons and coasters. If you want to put a QR code for next year's Hottest 100, call Railings. So, but if you have a seasonal special beers and you need a small number of cartons for, or you want to promote a special again, new beer function coasters, and give our the guys at Railings a call. Because you know what? There's no plate setup charges. They have very small mineral water quantities and a really quick turnaround time. They can print on supplied cartons or they can supply cartons for you. How great is that? Coasters might be worth thinking about for promoting Gab's votes for you as hottest 100 beers like we just mentioned. And guess what? They can be printed both sides. So everyone loves to flip a coaster, of course. That could even work for some local business to advertise on the back when you do flip them to cover the costs. You're bringing it on one side and a local plumber or mechanic on the next on the other side. So if you've got a local beer, beer plumber at your business, get them to cover the cost of some of the install <laughs> work that they might do. Contra deals. Of course, all the other products and services are still available. Label, uh, labels, shrink sleeves, tap decals, blank cartons, trays, and others. Give Brad and Paul and the team at Rallings a call on 1300 852 235 and they'll be happy to help. Beautifully done. Pimping out our guests since... 2012. <laughs> um, Paul, I'm just going to throw with something that we've teased a couple of times. Um, you posted something very interesting on the cert- cert- Cicerone Certified Community. People can get in touch on Facebook, um, on the Cicerone Community um, on Facebook. Um, can you join if you're not a Cicerone or is it is it an outreach community? Uh, the Australian Cicerone community is absolutely open to everyone with the view that the community was, you know, I mean, the Cicerone certification program, who I do not work for, but I do this as a part of the um, me digging my well, for want of a better term. Um, and anyone can join. It is a closed group on Facebook, but open on Instagram. The whole idea is to elevate beer and give people just small tips on to how they could elevate beer. Um, the Cicerone certification program is, I guess, is very similar to the Quartermaster Sommelier. So if you've watched the movie Som or the documentary Som, at the very, very upper echelons at master level, that's where it is. But at the very bottom levels, it's just essential basics of anyone who is a professional in the beer industry just a little bit to learn about how to elevate beer with the view that the most important time of beer's life is when we serve it. Um, I think you might be referring to the posts that I did around the Australian beer glasses. Australian beer glasses, because we don't see in anywhere, in any of the um, education that we see globally, we don't see a discussion about our, uh, I don't know, native indigenous beer glasses. Do they exist anywhere else in the world? They are the. We'll talk about the conical shape. The conical does, I would say, the shaker pint in the United States again doesn't elevate service, but they're utilitarian styles of glasses where the tiles of on the floor are tiles. They're hard. You want to break them. You want to stack these things. They. I liken the Australian beer glass, and we're talking particularly about two. You'd see them in every RSL bowling club pub the conical and the older style washington which is a little bit short and 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 chunkier but i find you know in terms of head formation it's a bit better our beer glassware if we want to talk about our category and independent beer or craft beer i'll call craft beer because look i I can't discount the fact that the influence that chuck Hahn 
when he created James Squire, did so with Lion. Um, so let's call it craft beer or boutique beer as he did. It has changed a lot in terms of introducing us to styles, but the glassware that we serve on a large scale, there are pockets who do different um, service of glassware, which, which are the specialty venues. But by and large, we have an in, uh, an offering for consumers of all these different styles, but we'll just sort of serve it in a conical beer glass. It does nothing. So that glassware was designed with one thing in mind, adjunct lager, low bitterness, low colour, low offence, quaff it down really fast. Um, and as the offerings that we have, you might walk into a venue with 40 different beers on tap with a variety of different styles, you still get it in the same glass. Um, this goes into how we want to grow an industry, but also how we want to present our beer. We can't grow an industry without concentrating on the how we can um, stimulate demand and and so how we serve beer and the interaction that people we have at that level is dictated so much by the glassware and how it looks in that glass. So it was just really good to in, to bring that to people's attention, particularly over there as they had time over the Christmas period to have a bit of a look at it. You know, yes, we do have glassware. These are the fun design features and these are the beer styles because I think that um, – I went to a venue recently, there was a 9% hazy IPA in there and you could only get it in a 425ml conical glass. And I don't think that's doing anyone very good. Not from a responsible drinking pro process, but um, yeah, just in general. So that was the reason. Beautiful. Um, lovely. I thought, it was, I thought it was great, but anyone who wants to find out more can go to the... Uh, now. I know it's had a couple of variations of name or a couple of so you tell us where they should go and is there any code word look i think that um let's let's clear that up because i do get in the industry a lot of people confused um i think that to use the so the cicerone is a trademark um they own that the cicerone certification that word they were gracious enough for me to be able to use that word within the community and trust in exactly what we do i um the the founder ray daniels all he stipulated was uh, the Australian Cicerone Certified Professionals community, very long, but I just ran with it because of, you know, he gave me permission to use it. I shorten it to um, the Australian Cicerone community and um, I'll wait till I'm pegged back by Chris Pisney, who you interviewed recently. <laughs> well ACC is much nicer way to use it, but yeah, that's the confusion between the two. Join it on Facebook after you join the Radio Brews News uh, Facebook group. Um, I'm going to change the code word this week to beer to guard. Um, I was speaking to Ben Krause about a, a beer that once upon a time used to be made and to make the hottest 100. So uh, beer to guard is now the uh, code word. I brewed one last year. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was lovely. Uh, last time I saw one of those. People, people didn't know what the hell it was. Um, used to be able to get three months around quite a bit, but haven't seen that for a yeah. while. I, I was speaking to the importer. Um, I actually got a, just got a sign for it uh, last week, um, but I was speaking to the, the importer and he said, no, nope, just not going to import it anymore. It was too expensive. People won't buy it. And it's like, oh, it's a terrible beer to try to open the bottle. Uh, one of the worst closures around, but that was a great one. Genelaine used to also occasionally be available in Australia. It was probably more a little more typical of the style in some ways than Trois Monts, um, uh, which I've actually been to that brewery there too. And they do another one, which my French is terrible, so please forgive, uh, Gavroche, um, which was probably a little bit more typical of the, the style as well, both from Brasserie St. Sylvester. Um, yeah, they'll love, love them. Um, and yeah, Ben used to make one years ago. So anyway, that was a nice little, uh, another nice little rabbit hole we went down. Uh, beer to guard is the code word. Um, very, very quickly, Brewery of the Week um, this week, uh, brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion verified cells per milliliter. Whether you're after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. Um, you can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 8518 3172. 
and talk all things yeast. And there is a link in the show notes that you'll find. And uh, we do love Derek and uh, all things Bluestone Yeast. Now, uh, my brewery of the week very quickly is a little brewery that I visited. Um, I went up to the Sunshine Coast uh, thanks to an invitation from our good friend Josh Donahoe from Sunshine Coast Craft Beer Tours, who we also highly recommend. Um, But he was doing a new tour that was visiting a little brewery called Wild Barrel. And also a distillery that are soon to potentially be added. Um, and it's a tiny little brewery um, that's uh, partnered with uh, Belli Beef, which is up in the Sunshine Coast hinterland. They're doing very, very small batch uh, beers that they're barrel aging. And we had a Pilsner, a Saison and a Belgian Red um, you know, again, love just everything about it. The, the whole farm is regenerative stuff. Um, it, it's regenerative to hear owner Scott, who um, is involved as well, talk about fungus and molds and the way that it's improving the soil uh, or just of the farm. We're not even talking about the beers yet and the way that their beef enterprise and everything is going, um, it, it, the, the way that they're looking at restoring the land um, and then the uh, brewery is part of that. It's just all of the things we talked about that if you want to justify why you choose one product over another, when you hear this story, you just want to go out and buy them and support them because of the story. So, uh, yep, um, Shane Kent, um, who, uh, you know, a home brewer that's uh, gotten into his own stuff, experimenting it, just his passion was reinvigorating for me. You know, I get, as you can tell from podcasts like this, you know, it, it does become a little bit of, uh, you know, getting ground down uh, by the sort of realities of life. But to hear him talk about his passion for beer was so restorative. So huge shout out to Wild Barrel on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, go get in touch with Josh um, from Creative Tours or Sunshine Coast Craft Beer Tours on the Sunshine Coast uh, or seek out the Wild Barrel beers. I think you can buy them online. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it's exactly the sort of thing that restores your faith and passion for for great local craft beer what about tips for gab's hottest 100 is anyone bold enough to throw one out there no i I don't again don't know who it is but uh um no i i certainly i think my only tip would be there could be upsets it's been such an interesting year um that and it has been it's been interesting as we've been trying to cull our um, list of breweries because we have a a number on speed dial. We have last year's top 10 because odds are that they're going to be in it. So we just need to know that somebody is going to be available when we phone them live, when we find out. And it's been interesting that, you know, uh, Young Henry's, for example, um, so said, oh, you know, here's who you can speak to, but we haven't pushed it very hard this year. Just didn't feel right in the climate. Um, Better Beer um, didn't campaign. Last year, they campaigned very, very hard. They got a top five finish. They've not pushed it. In fact, they... I don't think they entered. Well, you can't decide not to enter. If somebody asks to put your beer on, so the beer, you could vote for it, but they weren't pushing it. So, uh, you know, they're expecting to fall back a little bit. Um, and as Daniel Ridd, who has uh, done some predictions, said, we'll see what the power of um, promotion is uh, for a brand like that because it's one of the biggest uh, beers in the um, Hottest 100, whether their supporters organically do it or whether it needed the push. So, yeah, look, I've got uh, not no clue. Um, no clue whatsoever but uh, you know um, it's going to be fascinating I can't wait for the countdown how about you guys any tips uh, Ian what do you say Cooper's sparkling our top 10 <laughs> yep that'd be great <laughs> I, I, I voted in it this year I, I normally don't um, uh, I'm a supporter of the concept of it all but um, you know it, it's not something I have voted in in the past but not you know, not religiously, but I did vote in it this year. And Cooper Sparkling Hour was a was a beer that did get my vote. Um, that'd be that'd be great. And like you know, people talk about oh, it's just a popularity contest. No, I actually disagree. It's an engagement one because if it was a popularity contest with the eligible beers that are in there, Cooper Sparkling Hour would be one of the top ones. Uh, so with Cooper's Pale, uh, Stone and Wood, and uh, Balter XBA. Uh, those ones, they they would be the top five every year because they are the most popular because they sell the most. But it's about who who engages um, the best through varying different ways, and that's why it's so interesting. Um, who 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 knows? I have no idea. Um, but I'll 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 look with fascination, and then I'll and then I'll 
I'll sit on with the popcorn and watch uh, people get their, um, you know, tie themselves in a twist over why that should or shouldn't have been in the position it was in. And you know what? It's still great. It gets people talking about beer and being showing their passion for it, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and on that, I was just going to say, look, I, as you know, Ian, I'm a huge fan of Cooper Sparkling um, especially, but um, I would never vote for Coopers in the Hottest 100, um, no matter how good it is or anything like that, because – Cooper's declined to be involved. Cooper's didn't even know that the Hottest 100 existed five or six years ago, um, despite it now being in its 15th year. They didn't, you know, you reach out to their PR company who reached out to their marketing managers. They didn't even know it existed. They didn't want to put their beers on. Um, You know, even when suddenly they realized, hold on, the world has moved on and there's this thing called the Hottest 100. Now they're campaigning, um, you know, on it. Didn't even bother wanting to be on the podcast last year when we uh, reached out to them, and I just and again it's just for for a brewery that I love for its historical. I've got a great fondness for Tim Cooper for so many reasons, um, and I love Cooper Sparkling Ale because of the role it's played in my in my life. But as a company, I just think Cooper's does absolutely nothing to invest. And going back to what we were talking about at the top of the podcast, Cooper's has to be dragged kicking and screaming to any innovation or any new trend or any craft beer. They want to be part of the IBA now, um, as Tim said uh, when I interviewed him last. They didn't even bother going to the IBA conference, which is open to anybody. They, they could have sponsored a room at a time when the craft industry needs support. They are just completely AWOL in any form of support um, for, for the craft brewing industry. They love the IBD. Um, but when it comes to things like the hottest 100, they have to be dragged kicking and screaming into it, and then they're, you know, it, it, it's as if you know they're the original. Well, they are the original, Matt. <laughs> but I, I could, I couldn't. I hear what you're saying, but I couldn't not vote for it. That would be hypocritical of me when uh, I drink it every week. I agree, but I hope that um, we see a Czech pilsner in there somewhere from an Australian brewery. That would be beautiful. Oh, look, even as you're going to hear, I've already asked most of my guests, you know, will we see lager um, coming back? Because I think we are going to, you know, again, my feel is lagers are hitting the sales charts. And I think we could be uh, uh, seeing a few more, you know, Bolter Chaveza, for example, which is the biggest launch of the year. Are we going to see it um, do very well? Yeah, that's a good point. That's probably one that's going to get right up there, isn't it? you know, I don't actually know how it's selling, but I'm assuming by the amount of times I see the advertising and so forth in my face and uh, I hear, just hear people talking about it even, yeah, that's going to be one that's going to be jump right up, isn't it? That'll probably be the fastest mover of the year, I'd say. Well, the highest new beer. Well, there we go. There's my prediction. <laughs> There's the highest new entrant for the year is, is Volta Chevalier. I do know that we're going to have a lot to talk about this time next Thursday. So uh, anyway, we you got uh, having just been trying to wind it up ten minutes ago as we came up to the hour. I'm going to say uh, that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been the Tide Whisperer Ian Watson and the Well Digger Paul Daly and myself Matt Kirkegaard. The show is produced and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Bintani, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible. We look forward to joining you this Saturday and uh, seeing where the cards fall. Thank you both and uh, thank you uh, everyone who's listening. 